If I take one more step, it'll be farthest away from home I've ever been. Walt, this is the supermarket. This is as far as you've ever been? More so spiritually, this is the furthest I've ever been. You feel spiritually connected at IGA. And that's actually impressive. I feel like my soul is evaporating through my socks when I'm here. I get that sometimes. Then I remind myself that the purpose of this shop is to perpetuate hedonism and an unending pursuit of excess, culminating in a sleight-of-hand trick where we become so embedded in crony capitalism that we can no longer adequately observe the world around us. Then, I take a deep breath, and I find solace in the notion that all paths are of my own choosing, and I can choose a path free from obligation to material possessions. Oh, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it like that. I guess the blindfold of this societal normality has made me complacent in the- Oh look, it's a bunch of chocolate bunnies! Let's get some! Yay! I love chocolate! More! More! We have now hit, like, pinnacle all the references possible. Everything done, is we, done. We referenced um, uh, Lord of the Rings in the last skit as well. We did. And you've managed to bring I, it. I don't know how. Uh, look, it just comes. You're sometimes. really excited for that set. I really you? am. I really, really am. Welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's the GCP by the GCC and... POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. Now, we know how our podcast works by now. We're about to receive a transmission. Mm -hmm. We can see the light blinking in front of us. But before we jump into the episode, I did just want to remind everyone that if you're really enjoying our content and you want to support what the Get Commanded podcast is doing, the best way that you can do so is now on our Patreon. Um, It's... An incredible list of things that you can receive, mm. including games with me and Walt, which yes. is really exciting on our Discord. Yep. But also the opportunity to receive some Discord privileges and all this kind of stuff. We're looking at doing some more eventually on this, but you can go to patreon.com slash podcast and sign up and support what we're doing. Yep, it's really the absolute best way to support the content that we make. So if you've been listening for a while, you enjoy the stuff that we do, even just the the bottom tier of Patreon is supporting us a lot. So uh, if you do it, we'll really appreciate it. And if you don't, that's also fine, but come on. Yeah, just listen and tell your friends about us and uh, play more Commander. Yeah, Commander (laughs) is good. That's what we actually want you to do. (laughs) Actually, speaking of, uh, we do have an incoming transmission from the deep depths of the galaxy from the Space Commanders. It's time to get commanded. The path to victory is perilous and fraught with distraction. It is crucial that you understand what stands between you and victory, and the myriad steps you can take to progress down the path. Hey, this is a revisit. 
It is a little bit, we're, isn't it? We're going back to our actual very core roots here. The, the episode one, I believe, was yeah. how to how to bring the game to the to an end or something like that. Yeah, it's it's been a while. Any, you you won't be able to find it um, <laughs> because I mean uh, it was our very first episode. We had some audio issues, yes. but um, you yeah. can find it if you do a lot of digging. I'm not telling you where to look because <laughs> I don't want you to listen to it. But yes, it's it's a it's a throwback. I'm actually keen to revisit this topic because I think that. As a commander player that enjoys the, like, experience and the story that you create while playing the game, Mm. I often get distracted with, um, you know, playing the game of commander and being like, oh, that's a threat. I'm going to remove that. Or, oh, I could do this funny thing. I'm going to do this funny thing. So I think that this episode is going to make me a better commander player put me on the right track to actually winning the goddamn game for once. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's interesting. They did say, like, the emphasis in the command seems to be victory, but it said the path to victory specifically. Mm. So I imagine that this will be slightly different from that first episode we did in that it is about winning the game. Like, that's the goal here. But it's also about how we get there. So that's probably what what our focus is going to be. Um, this is something I've been thinking about a bit recently, actually. Um, I was thinking about, I think maybe it was a conversation with you. Someone asked me, like, oh, roughly how many games of Commander do you think you win? Because, you know, I think I mentioned that, that, you know, you should win about 25% on average. Um, and I think when I go to the game store, I probably win close to 50% of the games that I play. As one of your key and main opponents? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, you do. I win a lot of the time. And look, I actually, I, I don't, I've often looked at my decks and gone like, oh, am I misrepresenting them in rule zero? Am I sort of like, am I a pub stomper and all this kind of stuff? And people have repeatedly assured me, no, that is not what's happening here. I think it's mostly just um, experience playing the game. And I think it's this one particular focus I've had in my head since probably 2021, uh, when I started watching, um, (laughs) basically friend of the podcast at this point, Sam Black. Yeah. Um, (laughs) We've actually got a poster of Sam Black up in where we record now. It looms over us. We pray to him before we start (laughs) recording. (laughs) Thank you, Sam Black, for the game of magic. Um, Blessed be upon my, my draws. Anyway, look, I, I, I enjoy watching Sam Black stream a lot. He's a very, very good Magic player. And one thing I noticed that he was doing that I kind of realized was lacking in my games was he kind of seemed to be able to navigate his way to a win when I was kind of looking at a bunch of other stuff on the board. Like, he sort of knew what was preventing him from winning and how he would get there. And it just seemed like he had this instinct that would get him over the line in games where I was like, oh my god, if I was in this game, I literally would concede at this point because I thought it was so losable. Um, And a couple of the other players we play with who are really, really good are similarly very, very good at this, I would say. I would say that it's probably the key thing of what separates, like, a commander player to a good commander player. Mm. They know what the board needs to look like and even what their hand or graveyard needs to look like in some situations. They can really envision what they need to get to before they pull the trigger and activate that win con card or Mm. activate what their win looks like. And uh, recently, um, I know we talked about this in a Planeswalk a couple of um, episodes ago. Yeah. Been playing a lot of chess recently. Yeah. And I've noticed as I've got better at chess, I've noticed that I can't just chase checks. Like putting the Mm. king in check is a great way to like force your opponent to do something. But to get a checkmate, you actually have to do a bit of setup before Mm. you activate that checkmate. And I've noticed as I become a better chess player... I've seen, right, no, if I check him here, 
I'm not going to actually win because it's not going to close the game out. I need mm. to set up these pieces before I slide that queen forward and get the checkmate. Yeah. Well, this is basically exactly what the space commanders want us to look at, I think. Um, and look, I, I think this singular focus is probably the one thing that will make you win more games of commander than any other. And I know that sounds really spiky, but actually I think everyone being engaged in the process of trying to win actually results in better commander games. And I want to give a few examples. Yeah. So... I think when we all agree to the fact that we're trying to win and that is expressly our goal and yeah, like the journey along the way is a lot of fun and that's a focus of this podcast a lot of the time. Have better commander games not only by winning but enjoying them. Yes. We recently discussed burnout and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, so yeah. Definitely. This is a not thing. a spiky focus. No, it's not a spiky <laughs> focus but it's, it's always good to keep it in the back of your mind because when you do, it prevents a lot of things that occur in commander games that we sort of t- typically... Almost just like 90% of us don't like to see. Yeah, so, I can think of a couple of things. Yeah, so, so cards that make the game needlessly long, for instance. Mm. So um, Chaos decks do this. Stacks does this, um, except in CDH probably. Yeah. Um, land destruction when it's not a win con. Like these tend to basically reset the entire game. And really, if you ask the question like, oh, how are you trying to win? Someone who's doing this would kind of go like, oh... Uh, I'm not sure, or like, oh, it's kind of funny, you know, this kind of thing. And it's like, well, actually, if your main focus was winning the game, you would have a specific out in this scenario, right? You'd have a way yeah. of winning, or you probably wouldn't play these cards because you know you're just making the game really long without yeah. a win con inside. I think, I think there's some kind of, like, uh, enjoyment that people that do play these cards get out of Chaos, and they, mm. they enjoy... Specific, I'm looking specifically at Chaos... Here because I think chaos is like a oh it's funny to see how the game works when your hands are off and it just kind of happens yeah but you got to consider you can do that by gold fishing at home if mm. you'd like <laughs> I think that there are there is a strong consideration that there are probably three other people that are sat there trying to win the game mm. or at least trying to enjoy the game at the very least or in some cases just trying to play their decks yes exactly because <laughs> maybe they've got a brand new deck they've just sat down they want to pile it yep. but um possibility storm is now mm. out and it's like okay now i don't know what my deck is doing no and i don't know how to get out of this yeah. yeah definitely i think similarly um i don't see this very often but i have heard stories there are cards that explicitly make you draw the game um, and it's very possible to to navigate your cards in a particular way where this can happen. Well, there's some certain combos that you can get off that are infinite and unbreakable loops. Yes. So that... you literally, the, the game, by the way, there is a magic rule here, yes, yeah, which I, yeah. I think is what you're referring to, which is that the game actually has to draw. Yeah. If, you're, if you've got a combo that's going off like infinite flickers, but you don't have a way to stop that infinite flicker, mm. but it's not going to actually end the game. Like there's no end to the battlefield deal of damage, like yeah, there's impact not... tremors or something. Yeah. There's not. A, a win on site for the for you the game's rules say all right draw yeah. yeah i mean you literally can't finish resolving the stack so yeah. it makes sense like there's no way to navigate out of it unless you can end the loop yeah. and by the way if you can end the loop in that scenario you have to i believe Correct. that's also and you have a to rule. determine how many times you go through the loop yeah um i've seen it at like you know proper sanctioned events mm. where judges have had to come over and say right i can see the loop here can i see players hands and graveyards and mm. all this kind of stuff to understand is there a way to stop this loop? right yeah if there isn't you need to determine what happens or if you can stop it if you can't it is a draw move on 
Yeah. So I think this is a thing where, like, obviously in that that situation, often people are stumbling into that draw. But Oops, um, I went infinite. <laughs> yeah. But there are there are um, cards in Magic. They're very old that explicitly say the game ends in a draw. Um, there's not very many of them, and you don't see them very often. But again, if if our main focus when we're playing Commander. Um, at least in terms of like mechanically within the game, is I need to win, mm. you would not play those cards. No, right? Well, they're, they're actively saying this card, if you resolve it, doesn't let you win. Yeah. So, it's so, like, forget the draw bit. Yeah. You don't win. You don't win. And Imagine so, casting a card that says you lose the game. Well, that's <laughs> seriously how I think you should yeah. think about it. Um, and, and likewise, I think we see similar things. Um, we obviously talked a bit about kingmaking before. Um, yeah. A few episodes back. I forget which episode it was exactly. But basically, it, it th- this is the... If I'm describing the mental... Um, thought that someone who is kingmaking has, I think it's something like, I can't win, so I want you to lose. I will choose who does win. Yes. Um, And basically our way of reasoning through kingmaking, I think, was we suggested that you should really, really consider if there's not some way you could win. Mm. Because if there's any way you could potentially win, 100% you should go down that avenue, right? Um, it doesn't make any sense to, to leave behind the possibility that you could win the game. Yeah, I've been um, playing, like I said in a, a couple of episodes ago, a lot of mono-red um, on Standard at the moment. Oh, yeah. And um, Theo has now got a bit of a catchphrase that I've been using, apparently, when okay. I play. And it's the phrase, there's a world where I still win this. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't concede. Um, it's, my mono-red le- list is, re- is surprisingly resilient. And mm. I have found myself saying, there is a world in which I still win this, so I'm not going to concede. And in a one-on-one match, that is actually king-making. So I think mm. I'm carrying this same mentality over to Commander from that, being like, nope, I still have a chance here. Yeah. I'm not going to concede, and I'm not going to make you win either. Mm. So I'm going to do everything I can to stop you from winning and make me win. I think that's just good sportsmanship, definitely. Sure. Um, in a similar vein, we do sometimes see spite plays, which is kind of similar to king-making, but this is more explicitly like... I'm angry at you, so I don't care about winning at all mm. anymore. Like, this is literally not even like, oh, I don't think I can win. This is just straight up like, I'm leaving behind the concept of winning in favor yeah. of, like, targeting your board. I've seen this a couple of times in games recently. I typically will get to the end of a game and say to someone... Why did you do that? Why did you do that? That wasn't a good play. There was absolutely no need to do that. Um, but again, if our main focus... It, I hope this is the main thing you're taking away here. If we're all thinking in our heads, like, yes, we love the game of Commando, we love hanging out together, we love every aspect of it, but my goal is to win, we can leave behind a lot of these strategies that are not going to get us the win. Exactly. I think that there's a really interesting parallel that I'm going to draw with this mind state in mind, um, which is paralleling it to CDH. You kind of referred to it a second ago, Mm. um, but the, when you sit down at a CDH table, the rule zero conversation is generally we're playing CDH. Mm. Let's begin because everyone's in the exact same agreement of, I am going to do everything I can to make myself win. Yep. That includes, you know, not doing things like spite plays Mm. because I, there's no reason for me to do that because this is as competitive as I can. Yeah. And if I pull a spite play, it actually impacts my path to victory. Mm. If I use that card incorrectly, the chances of winning goes down a bit. Yeah. And it's I've found that this mindset with CDH players often is perceived, and we talked about this in our What CDH Isn't episode, mm. it's often perceived as a really <clears throat> spiky, super competitive, everyone's sweating, um, you know, yep. they're dabbing their brow of sweat <laughs> to try and get through the game. Yeah. My experience with it is exactly the opposite. Because everyone has this agreed upon 
like decision that no 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 we're going to try and win mm. everyone's actually a lot calmer and a lot more in my opinion respectful mm. and a lot more understanding of plays yeah. like i've been in cdh games where someone's counterspelled something of mine and i've not been able to respond to it and it gets countered and it's really detrimental to my game plan mm. i'm like oh well this really puts me out of the game and then the my opponent that counterspelled me went oh sorry and i'm immediately like no 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 don't apologize like no. that was uh, if i resolved that i would have either won or you would have lost mm. like you know it's one of those two options so it was in your best interest to counterspell yeah and i myself i'm like okay well they felt sorry i don't feel bad at all because i knew it was the right thing to do mm. it's it's a different mindset and i think we actually said that in the cdh episode yeah. we said it was a meta game and a mindset mm. and i think that the mindset of CDH, of being in agreement to what you're trying to do at the table of Commander. Mm. It's a good thing to take over even into casual Commander. Yeah, I think you might be right, actually. I, I totally agree with you. And you get really interesting conversations sometimes in the CDH game where someone will do something and actually, like, someone might say something like, oh, what's your reasoning there? And it's not like an angry thing. It's just like a, oh. Can I understand your line? Yeah. What's your line here? And 90% of the time, someone will go like, oh, I thought that them resolving this would prevent me from doing this, which is really integral to my game plan. And then most of the time in CDH, because we're all in, in agreement on yeah. that same thing, someone will go like, oh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I also love it when someone does something and the the question is asked of oh why did you why did you do that what's your line and then the person that you know countered the spell or destroyed the the enchantment whatever goes oh actually really good point i have no idea <laughs> and then they learn something and they yeah. go that actually wasn't detrimental to me at all no. and it was stopping you two from winning mm -hmm. so i should have left it there yeah um, it's a good learning opportunity it's a good learning opportunity sure. exactly well speaking of competitive magic i i'd like to get sort of into the thick of the episode now which is that path to victory so what does your victory actually look like is mm. the question I want to ask here. And the, the parallel I'd like to make to competitive magic is something you hear a lot when you watch streamers and, and that kind of thing. And we've talked about it before, which is, what are your outs is yeah. a question that you'll hear a lot of the time. We just discussed this in the language episode of Commander. We did. Yeah. We did. So this is specifically asking you like, okay, I'm in this difficult situation because of the board state or because of the spells or the cards in my opponent's hand. What is my way out of this situation? And usually what is my way to the victory yes. from here? Um, so in the deck building template, we recommended three to five win con cards. So they're going to be one way of getting your way to that victory yep. for sure. But the path to victory is going to be about navigating to a board state where the win is possible. So this is going to be a lot of these questions like, what are your outs? What? How do I get out of this? What cards can I draw? This is kind of the questions you're going to ask yourself of like, okay, I've got to know my deck pretty well here yeah. so I can find this way through this murky situation. And this is what I would actually encourage the listeners to go back and listen to some of the deck building template around the win con and the enhancers mm. section because it yep. gives really good context into the type of cards we're talking about here and as a bonus when you've put it in moxfield and you've tagged it as a win con card mm. your brain then associates the win con with that card mm. and you think about it in that way yeah it's a it's a bit of a mental thing but like i even have like when i think about oh what are my outs here i need a removal spell mm. my brain looks you know you know the sherlock holmes goes into his mind palace <laughs> goes through his moxfield list <laughs> 
<laughs> the Moxfield Mind yeah. Palace. I love that, actually. I want to see some, like, competitive streamers that go into, like, their Mind Palace. Oh, my God. That'd be great. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. It helps you kind of understand what your deck is equipped with. Yes. To deal with the problem and get you to your win. I think a lot of this section is going to be about knowing your deck list really well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Basically, if you can goldfish ahead of when you start playing your deck in games, that's going to be really helpful. But also just, like, play your decks a lot and learn them really well. Yeah. Because um, you're going to learn stuff like the fact that your wing con cards like let's play say you're going really wide that's that's the way you build your deck you've mm-hmm. made tokens or whatever so any of your decks <laughs> 80 percent of them <laughs> um you can't cast crater hoof behemoth because you don't have the money in my case <laughs> um, you, you can't cast crater hoof behemoth or overwhelming stampede or a chroma's will to win unless you have a certain number of creatures first, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, yeah, I 100% agree with you. A overwhelming stampede with two one ones on field... That's pumps, not a win. ...pumps your two one ones by one, <laughs> it's, and... It's a it's, waste of that card, that's really. That's five mana that you've basically thrown in the toilet. Yeah. Like, it's terrible. <laughs> so it's worse than casting giant growth twice, and that is saying something. Mutagenic growth can be cast with your life. Do that instead. <laughs> <laughs> like, do that. Oh, yes, absolutely. But, it, it, you know, in a similar vein, like, if you're playing a graveyard deck... Um, you'll have wink on cards like Rise of the Dark Realms, Command the Dreadhorde, Living Death, this kind of thing. Mm. You can't use those cards to win unless there's a certain number of creatures in your graveyard. Yeah. So a good part of the middle of the game is going to be navigating to the spot where those cards let you win. Well, I'll give you a really good example for graveyard decks. I actually played a game with um, you, Stubbsy, which, by the way, after appearing on our podcast, has oh, yeah. decided to play again. Um, He's just, back. A just little for bit. a little bit. Just a little. This is great. It was good fun. Yeah, it was really enjoyable. And Stubbsy and Theo. So that was the pod. It was me, Theo, Stubbsy, and Walt. I was playing my Scarab God deck, so obviously my win con is like, I, I do have a Rise of the Dark Realms as a win con in there, so I was trying to mill everyone out, but none of my opponents had um, creatures heavy as represented in their decks. So I then was like, oh, damn it, how do I get to my victory if I can't get creatures out of my opponent's decks? Mm. Right, I need to shift my focus in milling myself because I have creatures. Sure. And that was like my redirect of my, my path doesn't look like that anymore. Mm. I need to refocus it and make sure that where I'm going is actually leading me to a victory. Yeah. And it was milling myself. Mm. And that, like, changing the way I thought about it was... Really helpful. I don't think I won that game. I think I missed a button. Oh, no, I drew tons of lands. That was right. There you did. Up... You drew nothing but lands for about flooded. 10 turns in a row. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's true. I, I think that's almost the next step, I would say, which is that you know not only your deck and how your deck wins, but also had the 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 foresight to spot the fact that, oh, okay, my typical sort of win kind of stealing my opponent's creatures isn't going to work at this pod, so I've got to mm. shift a little bit. That's definitely exactly what we're talking about, which is knowing your deck, knowing what your outs are. And that helps when you know your playgroup really well. If you're playing with randoms and new people, that it becomes much more skill it requires a lot more skill to be like oh they're running this commander and have played these cards already mm. i can kind of already guess the deck list yeah um yeah it's a bit different when you don't know the play group no and i think i i think you can definitely get most of the way here just by knowing your own deck yes, and knowing how sure. your own deck w- uh will work and then you can navigate your way through yeah. from there definitely um yeah just to, to name off a couple of other examples of this sort of you know like 
the win con and then the way to get to the win con. Rampaging Bayloths in your landfall deck, you need to get a certain number of landfall triggers before you get over the line. Mm -hmm. um, Comet Storm is a common win when you're casting big spells. Um, you need a certain number of copies of that spell, or you need you know your X cost into that burn spell needs to be very high. Yeah. Um, if you're playing a, a spell slinger deck, Talran, Metallurgic Summonings, Dika, all of these require a lot of spells be cast before you have the bodies to win. So. In L words, what I'm trying to get at here is that most of the game, in fact, you could argue the entire of the game of Commander, is finding the win. Once you've found the win, you've won. The game is over, right? Yeah, true. I think that it's it's one of these things where if if you're... I find that I understand what my win con looks like when I goldfish my deck on Moxfield mm. without anyone interacting with it. Sure. Um, I don't pretend that, like, oh, someone would have removed this, someone would have removed that. I goldfish my deck and try and really think, I need this on field first before I cast this to get the best effect. Mm. And once you've played that through a couple of times, you really start to identify what kind of, what the board looks like before you go, okay, I reckon that's a win yeah. on, on, on in your goldfish experience. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's what a lot of this is going to be about, is asking yourself those questions. Okay, what does my win actually look like? And during your turns, like, actually ask yourself questions, especially at the beginning before you've cast any spells. Like, okay, are there any cards that would let me win on the spot? Like, yeah. if you do have that super wide board, maybe now is the time when you should be digging for Overwhelming Stampede. Because yeah. it's like, that that card literally wins you the game on the spot, potentially, assuming there's no interaction. Yeah. So, like, looking for that card and spending your turn drawing cards is actually probably the correct thing to do because you've kind of got everything else you need. Yeah, in the exact same vein, if you're running, like, an Aristocrats list and you've got a bunch of tokens on the board and they're ready to die and you've got the Sacrifice outlet you're like okay now i need to find a blood artist mm. to, to actually have the payoff of doing these things so yeah. like and and maybe you've got one blood artist down but you quickly do some maths in your head and go okay now if i get a falcon wrath noble yeah or another aristocrats effect mm. i'm gonna get there twice as quickly yeah. it's like it's running the it, it's I know it sounds spiky, but it's running the numbers in your head mm. to find, okay, this is what my board looks like right now. What is my win from here? Yeah, and this is also what's going to let you know when you might need to draw cards and mm. when you might need to tutor. I know we said that we generally don't play a lot of tutors, so mostly for us this looks like card draw. But if but you are playing... If you are yeah. playing tutors, you should know what you need at any given time. Yeah, I think with tutors specifically, I found this with a couple of my opponents, is when they cast a tutor they're looking through their deck as if they have no idea what they're looking for. Yeah. And sometimes I'll ask them, what are you, are you like, are you tutoring and casting something? Are you passing the turn from here? Mm. What, what, like, what's happening? And they're like, oh, I have no idea. And yeah. I'm like, you just cast a demonic tutor, mm. best tutor in the game, to find something. Yeah. And so, like, I think that if you are running tutors, you need to know what you're tutoring for. Mm. Otherwise, your game is just going to be all over the place. Yeah. And can lead to things like spite plays. For example... Mm. In a situation that I'm specifically thinking of right now, actually, someone did cast Demonic Tutor and was, like, thinking about what to get as they were tutoring right. and flicking through the deck. And they ended up saying pretty much exactly this of, I could get this, which will help me win, or I could do this and get payback. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? You could get payback by winning the game. Like you could, <laughs> you could win, yeah. or you could just make someone's life at the table miserable. Mm. And it was like it was actually really on the nose. They ended up tutoring an aura curse, which I just oh. thought was like, <laughs> like that's we like know the which most those... spiteful plays ever. <laughs> we know which of those two choices you picked. Hey, I could, li- yeah. I could win, or I could curse you. I could actually get my revenge. Play a curse on your body. Um. I don't know who that was. That was a I friend of mine. Don't let them I come back. I haven't seen in a long time. I, yeah. Uh, don't curse you. Especially <laughs> like players. that. Don't use that no. voice when Actually, you're cursing an opponent. I'll go ahead and say if you are going to curse me, do it like that. I'll I'll enjoy that a lot more if someone says to me, What? <laughs> I have cursed you and your family for the next ten generations. You, you know I run Curse of Opulence in my decks. So <laughs> and I'm you definitely, always curse yes, me. Yes, damn straight. Well, next time you do it, I, I want to see that voice. Make curse appearance. of Opulence on Walter. <laughs> Oh, we've, we've truly lost it now. Um, yes, no, totally. And I think that's a waste of a demonic tutor as well. It you've is, got, You've got the totally... best tutor in the game. You can find literally the best card in your deck. And you d- did something that actively slows another player down. Yeah. When, and, like, uh, like, I don't want to hark on about it too much. But it was a situation where that player was close to a win. Yeah. And a card like Overwhelming Stampede mm. would have helped them get there. Well, this is the kind of situation where it's like you are... I know we said before about like needlessly prolonging the game. We mentioned like stacks and chaos and stuff. But actually making choices like that is yes. needlessly prolonging the yeah. game. Because you could just win instead. Yeah. I also think that like when you're referring to like, you know, using these cards to dig or, you know, go through your deck or tutor... Finding um, cards in specific situations where there is a problem on the board state that's stopping you from winning, Mm. knowing that, and like I referred to it earlier, when I look at my list of tagged removal spells in my mind of Mm. what's going to get me out of this spot and it's not going to get me to my win immediately, but I need to get rid of that thing, whether it's a... A, you know, ghostly prison mm. or a, you know, Talia or something like that. I need to get rid of that thing so I can get to my win. Well, funnily enough, that is your path to victory, right? I, like, yeah. if, if your win con, whatever it might be, yeah. is not possible on the current board, then whatever is stopping you, you know, whatever permanent that is, maybe it's a ghostly prison, mm. that is your path to victory, is getting rid of that thing. I'm weirdly now picturing us on, like, a and d adventure in a caravan, like a, you know, horse and carriage thing, and there's a tree in the middle of the road, and you're like... A saw. And then, like, <laughs> we'll cut down the tree. If you, like, really contextualize, mm. like, that is blocking you from your path. Yeah. You need to cut down that tree that's in the middle of the road and mm. get rid of it so you can get your carriage through Absolutely. to get to the win. And look, like, digging with your card drawer is going to be an important thing that you might need to do to get there. But I think it's also worth considering, and I see some people missing this, actually think of the exact cards that get you out of it. And if you can, this is like next level stuff, think about what their casting cost is. Because I see people do this sometimes where they start like, you know, uh, I've seen people cracking bloods, for instance, right? So this is you pay one, tap it, sacrifice the blood, discard a card to draw a card. So this is literally just through the deck. You got that rule text exactly right. play a lot of blood. (laughs) Um, With bloods, like you can effectively pay one and trade any card for the next card in your library, right? You're discarding one to draw one, discard one to draw one. But I've seen people do this and use all of their red mana for instance. Whoops. And their wrath that they're looking for, you know, their Blasphemous Act is a red mana value spell. Yeah. And they actually draw it and then it's like, oh, I can't cast this because all I have is black mana or all I have is white mana or something. And it's like, yeah, you actually need to, as you're digging, actually really think like, okay, I'm looking for Blasphemous yeah. Act. 
look at the board. Like, how much mana do I need to cast this blasphemy? Because that's reduced by how many creatures are on the board. So yeah. if you've got eight creatures, you're like, okay, cool, I can cast this for a single red, but I have to have a single Leave red. Leave that single red open. So you can dig yeah. as much as you want to until you have one red, but you can't dig past there because then yeah. you, can't, you can't cast blasphemy anymore. Yeah, I find it's uh, this episode is doing a lot of throwbacks to other episodes. Like mm-hmm. our episode on The Order is a really good one to return yeah. to in regards to this in terms of we spent a long time talking about tapping lands. Yes. But like in, in the same vein, when you've got like a spell like Mind Spring, right? Mm. You'd want to draw a bunch of cards for an X value cost. Yes. Think about what's the card that I'm looking for here? How much mana would I need to feasibly leave open after declaring a value for X mm. to then cast that card? Yeah. My Zaxara deck has this issue all the time. Right. I have a lot of X spell draw effects. And I now know that list pretty well. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, there are like three different cards that can get me out of this. Both have an X cost in them, <laughs> but I need to declare at least one of them as an X value for three. So I need to leave five mana open so I can draw like four cards here. Yeah. So let me draw four cards and see if I get it. Mm. If not, I'll reassess then. And, yeah. yeah. It, it, this all sounds probably, if you're new to this kind of stuff, really, really complex, but like you can get there and it's just yeah. about prioritizing, just looking around at the board and going like, okay, what does my win look like? How do I get there? So, th- look, we've covered a lot of the stuff there. That This is kind of the um, the myriad steps you can yes. take, as the Space Commander said. So, what's the rest of the podcast about? Well, it's going to be about how you will need to trade resources and prioritize certain things to find your victory. So, remember, the path, as the Space Commander said, is fraught with distraction. Mm. So, we will be coming back to that. But Very before ominous. that... We're going to have a little thrifty interlude. Thrifty interlude. Thrifty interlude. So we've got lots left to cover, as we said, but we're going to have a little break to hear about a new thrifty card. Uh, James, do you want to give us the rundown of what this card is? And then I I will do my usual dramatic monologue, dialogue, something. (laughs) Which is definitely right. (laughs) This is a really, um, like, well-chosen card for this episode because it's a saga, which is a chapter-by-chapter, you know what's coming, you know Mm. what the end result is. You've got to play. And your path to victory has got to be very clear when you cast a and saga card. to be honest, this this card definitely has been a part of my path to victories in I've, a lot of different games. Mine too, actually. It's an incredible card. The card for the Thrifty Interlude this episode is the Marari Conjecture. For four and a blue, you'll get a saga, which if you're unfamiliar, as the saga enters after your draw and after your draw step, you add a lore counter and you sacrifice it after three lore counters. So the first lore counter will get you to chapter one, which says return target instant card from your graveyard to hand. Chapter 2 says return a target sorcery card from your graveyard to hand. And chapter 3 says until end of turn, whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. Do you ever feel that your time is finite and you just don't have enough of it? As if your waking life is one sustained blurred moment that could at any instant be proved false by the opening of your eyes? What if that was a good thing? Introducing repetition. What's that? You don't like making the same mistakes over and over again? You're clearly not failing well enough, so it's time to fail better. Imagine if Zeus's bolts returned to him after he'd thrown them so he could smite, smite, smite again. It's fun to be a god. Get budgeted!
Road to El Dorado! <laughs> oh my god, we've referenced everything on this podcast at this point. It's true. This, this, that was an old one, to be fair. I wrote that quite some time ago. But yes, evidently I can't get my head out of quoting other things. Very fitting for this episode, though. Yes. <laughs> Very and, good and choice. And a great card, I think, for thinking about, yeah, your, your way through. Well, that literally victory. plans three turns, doesn't it? It, it does. Says, it's, like, it says think three turns yeah, ahead. Yeah, really definitely cool. it does. Well, these are released every week in text form over on Discord, so you can check them out there. It's linked in the show notes. And you can also see me bring some of these to life as weird monologues and or dialogues uh, over on TikTok at G underscore Commander Community. So check us a follow on there to see them as they come out. Yeah, you just posted a weird one with one of my favourite plant elementals um, <laughs> up there at the Phyto moment. Phytotitan, yeah. What a weird boy. That was uh, <laughs> an suitably strange um, monologue to be given to him yeah, If you well. want to see Walt just be weirder and actually see his <laughs> face while he... I get the privilege on the podcast of seeing your face when you perform. <laughs> this is an opportunity for listeners to see it. So That's if you want to check it out, G underscore Commander Community. Yep, definitely, definitely check us out. Well, let's get back to the command, the Space Command gave us, which was the path to victory. Um, specifically, I think we were going to look at the uh, perilous nature of it and mm. the fraught with distractions, which are the two things they said about it. So, uh, what are we going to need to do to find our path to victory? Well, we need to understand the board and what is specifically blocking us from reaching our victory. Yeah, specifically you. As a, like your game plan, your path to victory... It might be freaking another player out at the table mm. and it might cause them to be like, we have to remove it. We, we, we at yes. the table. Often people start using that word to try and get other people to help them and bring in other resources to, to assist in the problem. Mm. But if you actually look at it, sometimes you're like, well, that's stopping you from winning, but it's not stopping me. Yes. So I don't care. <laughs> so like there's a, there's a clear delineation here between things that stop you and things that, that are stopping people collectively mm. at your table. So, you know, if you're playing a graveyard deck and someone casts Rest in Peace, um, Walt will be screaming in the void somewhere. <laughs> but um, <laughs> most importantly, you, you've got to change your whole game plan to be, I must get rid of Rest in Peace, right? That's, yeah. that's your new goal until Rest in Peace is gone. Um, but... If it is not the case that you absolutely must deal with it, and we'll outline quite a few scenarios in which you don't yeah. need to respond, even when people tell you that you should, you can ignore those things. And actually ignoring them is what's going to let you focus more on what your path to victory looks like. Yeah, and I often find that these are really incredible windows when it's something that everyone else is scared of not affecting you to start politicking. Mm. The politicking aspect when these things, like these problematic things on the board come out and someone's freaking out and they're like, oh my God, I'm a graveyard deck. Rest in peace is going to screw me forever. Oh no. And you're like, well, I don't really care about my graveyard, but I do have a naturalize in hand. Right. And I could be a friend now with you, the graveyard player. How, what can you give me <laughs> if I got rid of this for it's you? It's true. It's definitely a good opportunity. I would say, especially if you are that player who must deal with that threat. Like if you're the graveyard player and rest in peace has been resolved. You're you... not winning the game if that stays on the field. No. So yeah, unless you have a feed the swarm in hand, it might be time to start politicking with people yeah. and, uh, and getting them to remove it. But... Equally, if you are that other player in the game and you don't need to get rid of Rest in Peace right now, you by all means, you can strike that deal, make that political yeah. friendship, but only do it if it benefits you. Like, yeah. there should be something really tangible that that player can offer you specifically before you even consider doing this. I think I've set a bit of a weird 
precedent at my tables because I love politicking and I love getting deals out of people, especially when it's this kind of deal that is something really problematic for them. I can help them out with it. So I set some terms and conditions out. And usually yep. what I do is make it really like really solid and everyone understands what the deal is. So like, I don't want you to swing any combat damage at me for three turns and I will count for three turns, how many turns I get, all this kind of stuff. Now, sure. Uh, I'm saying this on the podcast again, so people know my secrets. Why do I do this? But usually what I've done <laughs> is calculated in my brain how many turns I need to win. Yep. And I've gone, right, three turns with no combat damage, I should be able to pull a win out there. Mm. So me going, okay, I can get rid of this for you, you spend two mana to cast my naturalize, whatever. I know that if I don't take any combat damage from that, you know, graveyard combat player, I should be fine to, to get my victory. Sure. So obviously I'm very aware of like what... I need to win. So this mm. is another thing for the player that does need it removed. Obviously, the player making a deal with you is going... And we've said this on the podcast before. If you're making a deal, make it so you get more out of it than your opponent mm. does. That is the key to politicking. I have seen a lot recently at my tables where people are like, Oh, we're friends, right? Yeah, sure. Boom, pop, move on. Like, mm. I'll get rid of this thing and we're both friends. Sure. Friends is not a good deal in Commander. No. That there is no guidelines to when you can break that deal, when you can stab each other in the back. Like, yeah. it's a bad thing to kind of set up. And I encourage you, if you're taking this episode as like, Okay, I want to win more often that's one thing you can stop doing mm. to make your path to victory clearer. Definitely. Completely agree with that. Uh, I think as a, as a general rule, when someone offers you a deal, don't take the first terms that are outlined. Mm. At least try negotiating. If someone says like, oh, I'll remove that for you and you can have th uh, um, don't swing me for three turns, yep. ask them, how about two turns? Because, you know, you might find your way to negotiating something. Maybe they'll say, like, oh, no, no, three turns, but I won't touch anything on your board. Yeah. Ooh, and that's suddenly nice, that's a way sweeter yep. deal than what you had before. So negotiate a little bit. It would be a definite I mean, that's just good thing. life advice. You, know, you, get <laughs> yeah. a, you get a quote for a kitchen renovation. Mm. No, let's, can you do any better? Yeah. Like, don't just take the first number. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, However, I will say that a lot of these things... So, definitely, politics is totally a valid way out of these things. And if something is a real problem for you, by all means, politic. However, a lot of the things that you might think are going to be these real problem permanents for you are actually not that bad. And I want to outline a few circumstances in which you can probably ignore stuff that your opponents are doing. And this is, again... The fraught with distraction that, that the space commanders are trying to integrate off, with us. And a lot of these cards are cards that you will freak out about because they're, you know, they're, they've got a big money value behind them. Yeah. Because they're really good cards. Or they're just cards that generally read, I win the game if. Yeah. But for you, it might not be that case. Yes, exactly. So, for instance, if someone, one of your opponents has resolved... Avenger of Zendikar, right? This Plant is the, boy. Yeah, you made a million plants. Uh, they're going to get bigger every time a land ETB is under that player's control. But let's say you have a ghostly prison. Until that ghostly prison is gone, the player who's playing Avenger of Zendikar is going to have a really hard time swinging into yeah. you. Well, I mean, like, the difference between this and, like, a Galta, for example. Like, Galta mm. can swing and you can pay two mana to attack the player with the ghostly prison. Yeah. So Galta's a lot scarier for you if you're playing ghostly prison than Avenger of Zendikar. Yes. Because Avenger of Zendikar goes wide and that's two for each creature that's attacking you. Yeah, they might have to pay 10, 15 mana, that's, 16 mana. That's wasting their entire turn. Yeah, so they're, they're unlikely to do that until they can get rid of Ghostly Prison. So yeah. they're probably just going to swing at other players, which actually is good for you. Especially good for you. They're killing your opponents. Yes. If, if a player is actively killing your opponents, 
Leave them around. Yeah. <laughs> Just let them do their thing, then kill them later. <laughs> I'm reminded of the Napoleon quote, which is, never interrupt your enemy when they are making a mistake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so Avenger of Zendikar, if you have a Ghostly Prison, not a worry. Um, in a similar vein, a card that I play in a couple of my graveyard decks, Ultra of the Brood. Very strong mill card. Very strong mill card. Uh, so this is whenever a permanent enters the battlefield under your control. It's a one-mana artifact. Whenever a permanent enters the battlefield under your control, if you have the Ultra of the Brood, um, each opponent mills one. So if you are the kind of player who is trying to mill your opponents, especially if you're going to steal things out of their bin, it's a really, really, really good card uh, yeah, to 100%. get you that way. But if, let's say you're on the other side of the table, someone else has played Ultra of the Brood, and you're a graveyard deck, don't remove Ultra of the Brood. That's like card draw for you on your opponent's board. Exactly. <laughs> that is absolutely not a problem. The amount of times I've seen people who are, people have this really weird hang up about mill where when they're forced mm. to mill cards, they just have this like instant, I am so angry about this These are thing. resources that I could have used. Yeah. Rah, rah, rah. And sometimes they're playing a graveyard deck and I'm like, it's basically card draw. They're giving you ammunition. I know. I actually find like when, if someone was to resolve an altar, the brood while I was playing my scarab God deck, yeah, you'd be over the moon. Give them a kiss on the cheek and a good cuddle. I'd be like, thank you. I now no longer need a tutor mesmeric orb. I appreciate it. Friendship over. I've got what I need. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Uh, similar vein, um, a card like Authority of the Consoles. Um, this makes your creatures your opponents control into the battlefield tapped and you gain a life when they ETB. Mm -hmm. um, this is definitely annoying if you're playing like a token deck. If you're playing a Voltron deck, who cares? Your creature is in the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, you, you have to good. wait a turn and then you swing for 25. Like yeah. that's, that's oh, absolutely no. not a problem for you. Um, so you, you can safely ignore that. And that's sort of the, the recurring theme here. You know, if someone resolves Storm King's Thunder and they're playing, going to cast some huge burn spell mm. and you've got Hexproof. You're fine. You're fine. Well, like, this is also a thing. I find that, like, we're talking a lot about permanence here, but, like, you just mentioned Storm King's Thunder is something on the stack. Mm. There are a lot of things that people that are new to playing counter spells that are very quick to counter a spell. Mm. When a spell is on the stack and you have a counter in hand, really think, if this spell resolves, what does the end result look like for me? Yeah. Not for the table, not for that, that player, because it might be really good for your opponent, but mm. it might not affect you at all. Yeah. Have a strong think whether or not you actually want to counter something before it resolves. Because sometimes, mm. like I've seen before, yeah, like... If you can interrupt a like a huge spell on the stack, but it's not going to affect you, do you really want to do it? If someone's casting a huge burn spell, but you have maybe like Phyrexian Unlife on the field or something <laughs> like that, you can't, or like something like you can't lose the game because of your life total being zero. Oh yeah, um, Platinum Angel. You could feasibly be like, all right, you're going to kill two of my opponents, and on my turn, have I got the capacity to kill you before I lose Platinum Angel? Mm. Have a think. Yeah. Do you actually want to counter spell this? Because you countering that could basically be like, all right, I'm giving two people an opportunity to win. Mm. I think this is a really good exercise in knowing what, not only what your outs are, but also what your responses look like. Mm. Because you might have the capacity to deal with something at a later date. And as a sort of general rule of playing at instant speed, deal with things the absolute latest that you can, because yeah. it gives you the maximum amount of information that you possibly can. So yeah, let's say you have a counter spell for that Storm King's Thunder, but you also have... Um, Oh, what killed me the other day? I think there's a card called Wild Ricochet. Oh, it's a five mana instant. It copies a spell on the stack. 
and you choose new targets for the copy, and you also choose new targets for the original spell. Yeah. I have, at one point, cast a massive burn spell, and someone just wild ricocheted and killed me instead. Mm. So, deflecting SWAT, but budget. Yeah, or, or yeah, um, in a similar vein, de- deflecting palm. Yes. If someone's going to resolve that burn spell, and you're like, yeah, cool, I don't need to counter this, I can kill you! Yeah. <laughs> what if you died? Yes. <laughs> Counterpoint, die. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's like there's so many examples we could pull out there for this as well. Are. Like you know, like Suture Priest, that's one of your favorite oh, like aristocrats. Yeah, effects. so this is this gains you a life when your creatures ETB yeah. loses opponent's life when their creatures ETB. So I've seen this on Walt's board before, going, Oh my god, I know that that card is going to be nuts. Mm. But I'm like, oh hang on a minute. I'm playing a spell slinger deck. I have like three creatures in this entire deck. Yeah, don't worry about I it. I don't need to worry about this. Of course, Walt's gonna gain a bunch of life, but he's gonna drain my other opponents for like mm. 30. I'm good. Well, this is the thing about ignoring these problem permanents, is yeah, if they are to the detriment of other players, you are actually that is your path to victory, is leaving them. Mm. Not only does it let you prioritize what your win looks like and finding the cards you need and casting the spells that you need, you are also actively bringing opponents life totals down you might be bringing opponents resources down they, they have to spend cards removing these things yeah. like it's actually in your best interest to let your opponents fight amongst themselves yeah i, I actually really like the napoleon quote that you brought up yeah, yeah don't interrupt them if they're killing each other yeah. like, just leave them let them do it absolutely stand, stand on the hill in the background and be like mm, okay i'll come in and claim the trophy when it's all done well how many commander games can we think of that where the player who wins is the player who is behind for almost the entire game because the other three players spend yes. all their time ganging yeah, up on each we, other. We talked about the Bradbury um, ice skating. Stephen Bradbury, Stephen yeah. Bradbury um, effective. If, you, if you're unfamiliar, it's an ice skater, an Australian ice skater, speed yeah. skater, that was like so not going to win the ice Miles skating. Miles behind. Like, he, he made the final for this particular yeah, Olympics. But, so he was definitely a competitive, but he was comfortably the worst skater on that particular day. And in the race was performing the Worst, comfortably then, behind but kept pushing towards and kept seeing his path to victory yeah and what happened was all the players at the front of the pack fell down and he won gold he just skated on past them and claimed victory it's worth watching what a good metaphor it's a good <laughs> metaphor it's worth watching that video just to see the expression on his face the pure joy yeah. the fact that he won gold looks like me after Walt plays sutra priest <laughs> <laughs> but I think when we're thinking about, like, because we've talked about politics and mm-hmm. how we can kind of, like, align deals and stuff like that. In the same vein of thinking about players, ignoring these problematic permanents and putting your focus on a player might be more important instead. One of my greatest expressions when I play Commander is, oh, well, if I don't have permanent removal, I can go for player removal. <laughs> yeah, this is something we hear a lot in, yeah. in Magic and in Commander in particular is like, oh, you know, I hate these five permanents. Can I just kill you? <laughs> yeah, if instead of casting five removal spells, I cast Overwhelming Stampede, but push it all towards you. Yeah. All five of those disappear. All those permanents don't exist when you are no longer in yeah. the game. Yeah, it's absolutely a valid thing. And actually, it's the last thing that I, I want to talk about specifically in this path to victory is combat. Don't forget the combat step. It is so integral. And I see people making, in my opinion just slightly suboptimal choices during combat a lot of the time. So um, let's just say a good phrase, I think, to think about in Magic. And I think this popped up once when I was playing Arena. You know how you get those little, like, tips like don't forget this oh, that don't little forget fairy this. sprite yeah thing, yeah basically yeah, when you do the tutorials yeah so one of these was basically saying if you aren't planning on blocking with a creature should you just attack 
And it, it wasn't saying, like, always attack, but it was sort of, like, basically trying to put it in your head. Is like, it better to attack than hold it up as a potential block that you're not planning on using as a block anyway? Well, this is the thing. I see a lot of people, like, leaving up probably far too many blocks when a player is open. Like, if you've got an 8-8 eight, eight, and someone's got, mm. like, three 2-2 two, two blockers, um, yeah, you might want to block with it. And in some cases, it might be right to block if you're on a low life total or whatever. But, like, if you have a free attack on someone, just attack and also... Don't roll a dice to decide who to attack. Make a choice. There will always be someone, even on the early turns of the game, someone might have dropped three, four mana rocks at this point while someone else is on two lands. Yeah. Attack that player. They are in the lead and they deserve to take four or five damage. Yeah, I. if you've played with me, um, I have rolled dice before to decide who I attack. Um, and I know, like, I agree with Walt here that I think if you can see who's in the lead, attack them. Mm. I rolled dice for a couple of different reasons. One, to depower my own play style if I'm playing with new players sure. or if you know it, there is no clear indication of who's winning which does happen that's, in the early turn that's sometimes that's so, so fine yeah. um, or I'll just attack the player I'm most scared of instead um, but well, it's interesting that in all of these scenarios though, you're still attacking I so am I'm still making sure you're not leaving blocks back if you don't need them exactly and I think that this is something that I've learned because I I'm a very like even though I play is it which is a very like I need to do it now and I want to win and all this kind of stuff kind of attitude I'm actually quite reserved in resource using in magic I, I try and mm. hold back a lot of resources for responses and blocks and all this kind of stuff and very early on um one of my like mtg senseis at the time was basically like you could have won if you swung with this creature three turns ago and mm. kept swinging you've got a 10 10 with trample None of us can block it. You would have dealt, like, 60 damage in the last, like, five turns. Yeah. Swing your creatures. Yeah. Like, seriously, you would have won by now. Sometimes it's it can seem kind of obvious, but look, we, we get compli complicated board states in Commander. We get, like, a million creatures and all this kind of stuff. But, yeah, often you have free attacks. Like, yeah, 10-10 mm. with Trample is, on most board states, a free attack on someone. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you can maybe in your brain go, oh, but they've got 10-1-1 chump blockers and they could chump and kill it. Think about the effect for them. Mm. That's fucking terrible for them. Yeah. They're going to lose 10 of their creatures, which is integral to their game plan. Yeah. No, they're probably just going to take 10. Mm. I, I see this a lot, actually, in particular with flyers, where I think often people have, like, 5, 6 damage that's in the air, and someone's got no flying blocks. And something that I've been doing a lot recently is I will just attack. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a free attack, I'll just kind of go, oh, sometimes I'll divide it up a bit, you know, 3 this way, 2 this way. But let me tell you, over the course of a game, and especially when you're trying to get life totals low because you're playing a aristocrats three, three or air, tokens or whatever. It does a lot of work. And over, you know, four turns, that's 12 damage. And I've found that, like, yeah, with the flyers thing, think about, like, your... I, I encourage you, go onto your Moxfield list and have a look. How many good flying blocks do you have in your decks? Mm. And how many good flying attacks? Like, if you have a flyer, it's probably a better attacker than a better blocker. Yeah. Yeah, most like, of the time it's better to attack with a flyer. 100%. Especially because most of the time someone is completely open. Like, you know, it's not like they've got, like, a decent reach blocker. Yeah. I'm talking, like, a lot of the time people have no flying blocks at all. Um, it just seems like a no-brainer to attack I over think, that time. Yeah, and I think I, I referenced it earlier, but, like, on the flip side, when we think about blocking, you think, like, oh, yeah, okay, there's 10-10 with tramples swinging at me, and I've got these 10-1-1 creatures. I could block and kill it, mm. but I need these 1-1s because next turn and I have an overwhelming stampede effect to deploy yeah. and that's going to get me to my win. So really think, do you actually need to block or is your win secured if you keep the board state you have? Because mm. sometimes, and, and 
we play Commander. Our life total is 40, for yeah. Christ's sake. It's huge. We can take a 10-10 to the face mm. and be like, yeah, all right, swing at you next turn with a huge board state. Yeah. That's much, much better. Obviously, it's all situational, but I think overall I agree with you. I think people in general are too quick to block. Um, especially when the block is bad. So basically when I say a block is bad, generally speaking, you a one for one block is pretty good. Like if you are happy to trade Trading a card resources, for a card. Yeah. yeah, especially if you know, if it's a 10-10 without trample, it's coming at you and you've got a one-one death touch blocker. That's a sick trade. That's a fantastic especially trade for you. The, a really easy way to kind of identify why these are good trades is look at the mana value of the cards. Mm. So for example, a Moss Viper is a one mana. 1-1 one, one with Death Touch. Yeah. That blocks and kills a Galter with a 12-12 Trample. Yes. You still take 11 to the face, but you're trading 12 mana worth of card for 1 mana worth of card. Yeah, definitely. It That's really a big... really good trade. Absolutely. I think power toughness matters as well. Like, obviously, in that case, it was pretty obvious, but sometimes something's got a lot of plus one counters on it, and mm. you can kill it with something that's really, really small, and that actually kind of makes the trade even better for you because they've invested counters onto yeah, that card. they've used other cards to make that card better, and if you now remove it, it's like you've removed three cards. Well, and this is kind of the other thing that comes into blockers a lot, is how many actual cards are you trading for how many cards they're attacking you with. So right. yeah, if Galter is 1-12-12 with Trample and you trade your one Moss Viper, that's a one-for-one. One. That's okay if you're happy to make that trade. But if you're trading, yeah, like in the circumstance you said before, it's a 10-10 and you've got 10 one ones. even if they're tokens, it's still kind of like you're trading 10 cards for one. Yes. That's pretty bad for you that's in horrific. general. Yeah, so Especially if your strategy is going wide. Yeah. If your deck is designed to have a lot of one ones. 10 one ones don't throw them under the bus mm. they you're building them up yeah that's your that's your task that's well, your path to victory that's your path to victory and this is the thing you got to come back to is like okay those one ones might be good blocks here in that you can you know soak up all that damage but what are the one ones worth to you in your pursuit of victory and yeah if you've got an overwhelming mm. stampede in your hand don't trade one ones, my goodness. Yeah, Take the th damage. Think about what your next turn looks like yeah. is one of my key things to say here. Is like if you trade those 10 one ones, your next turn with that overwhelming stampede in hand now looks way worse. Yeah. But if you don't take, if you take 10 to the face and keep your 10 one ones, your next turn looks like a win. Mm. Like it is way, way better to take the 10 damage. Yeah, even if you don't have a win on your next turn, let's say, I mean, I play a lot of go wide decks. If I have a card like Shamanic Revelation in my hand. Oh, you're keeping those 1 1s. I'm for keeping sure. those 1 1s, absolutely. This is a 5 mana sorcerer that draws a card for each creature I control. That might be the difference between drawing 12 cards and drawing 2 cards for yeah. 5 mana. I would 100% rather have 10 extra cards than um, soak up 10 damage. And especially in a situation where you've got that and another card in hand, you're like, I need to refill my hand mm. your path to victory is going to be a lot clearer with more cards in your hands than a higher life total yeah i i think the general rule that i would give here and this is something that i do a lot and i've found a lot of success with really rarely chump block like yeah, and chump block for those who don't know is when you sort of throw a one one in front of a big creature or something like that or just like throw a creature away yeah. for, for on a chump, bad block chump implying that he's disposable as yeah a you're just yeah. you're just throwing it away chump, kind of yeah. thing I mean it's obviously situational if someone's got a 12-12 that doesn't have trample and you've got a 1-1 one, one, like that's great you just gain 12 life that's, yeah. do, do that trade but I see a lot of people throwing away blocks that like they don't get almost anything out of except for a bit of life and yeah personally I'm so inclined to take yeah. sometimes like 14 damage in one hit because I know that I need all those creatures on my next turn and I, I it's a really 
I found it really effective, basically. I think, yeah, you've you've looked at it in the, in the path kind of line. To put it down at the very end, at the you know you're looking at it as a your path to victory is mm. this, your victory at the end if you win the game is the same victory if you are on one life compared to forty life. Yeah. If you win a game of commander on one life, you won a game of commander. Awesome. If you win a game of commander on sixty life. You won a game of Commander. Yeah. It doesn't change anything. The wins are all worth the same yeah. amount. Absolutely. A dub's a dub. <laughs> <laughs> a dub's a dub. Well, the path to victory is treacherous, but it can be navigated if you have the right tools at your disposal. You'll need to truly know your decks and what they want to do and understand the way in which these goals fit into the decks you are playing against. There will be many distractions in the form of problem permanence, scary board states and political deals, but it is crucial that you understand what st- stands between you and your victory. Learning these skills is perhaps the most important focus in improving as a magic player. Space Commanders, command command received! Nice. Still going with the salute. Yeah, still going with the salute. I feel like they're going to be less inclined to, like, abduct us in really horrific ways if we appease them, you know? Like, keep them happy. I think we're doing good. I I think we're doing good. I mean, we had a second one the other day. Yes. Giving us some commands. So I reckon overall they're pleased with us. If they're they're giving us more more feedback. We're nearly 30 episodes into this now. (sighs) Yeah. We've done a lot for these space commanders. We have. I I hope we get something in return someday soon. I hope so. Well, if you want to give us something in return, you can answer these next (laughs) questions. Listeners, do you feel commanded? How good do you think you are at finding your way to a win? We want to hear stories where you've made a big risk, like maybe taken 10 to the face, and it's paid off with a win. So you can get in touch with us in many different ways. You can send us an email, you can add us on Twitter, or the best way, in my opinion, to chat with us is on our Discord server, which is linked in the show notes. You'll be able to jump on, have a chat with all of the other listeners of the Get Commander podcast, chat with Walt and I, and even possibly find a game with us. Yeah. Um, speaking of finding a game with us, um, you can actually get a guaranteed game with us if you'd like uh, by joining our Patreon. Yeah. So in the, it, for the uh, one of our tiers, we will get, play with you every month over Spell Table. Uh, wherever you are, whatever time, we will make a, a time that works for you. And if you're international, we're not afraid of setting our alarm for like 3 a.m. No, no, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do it. We'll definitely do it. And speaking of Patreon, uh, we would like to personally thank Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in the Space Commander tier. You're the best, Fletcher. Yeah, you are absolutely gold. And if you want to support us in other ways and you you know don't have the money to splash out on us on Patreon, you can always leave us a review on the podcasting app that you're using, except Google for some reason. And tell your friends about us. We want to spread the Get Commanded message as far as wide as we can. Absolutely we do. We'd like to thank again uh, Palms Off Gaming for sponsoring our podcast. They create fantastic deck boxes, sleeves, binders, and other gaming accessories. You can check them out at palmsoffgaming.com.au. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right, well, just about an hour for this episode, but... That's pretty good, but we've got a little bit of extra time. I'd like to uh, planeswalk out of magic into somewhere else. I did last week. It's your turn, James. Where are we planeswalking to? We're going to planeswalk to university. You excited? Hey! Hey. James works at a university. Yes. (laughs) Um, I was trying to get Walt to be like, oh, no, not learning again. But you actually love... Your university experience was great. I I did a full five years. A full year longer than I was supposed to. But yes, I enjoyed university a lot. Well, I also enjoyed my university experience a lot too. And now that I work at a university, I work at the marketing team. Um, And I found that the last couple of years 
specifically, there's been this weird effect that's happened. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but this like COVID-19 thing. Oh. Yeah. It rings a bell. It might have been on the news once or twice. Yeah. But it basically meant that everyone had to learn from home, which was really... I have... Yeah. Become intimately familiar with yeah. this. Everyone yes. knows what it did. Um, for unis specifically, you know, we all had to work from home. Yep. We weren't on campus. Um, and something beautiful has just happened recently that I wanted to share. Sure. Um, university in Australia has just started up again for semester one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had, for the first time in like three, four years, a full-blown orientation week like oh week oh week which is if if you're a first year or second year it is your favorite week if you're yeah. a fourth or fifth year you, you wait and don't go yep. <laughs> university's too wait crowded. a week before you go in but oh week for those that don't know is like it's called orientation week so the whole point of it is to get, kind of get your grips with campus understand where your classes are maybe yep. meet some of your fellow students fellow academics yeah and this year's O week was like it was when I was a student, like when we studied. Oh. So, you know, when, like, do you remember when going on campus and they'd have all the tables set up of all the different student clubs? You oh, could yeah, join? absolutely. My my journey with my um, student theatre at, yeah. at, uh, at university began on O-Week. I was like, okay, I'm finding the student theatre. I want to join. I want to be in theatre shows. And I literally signed up on that day. So, yeah, yeah no, O-Week has a very special place in my heart because then in subsequent years when I was part of that organisation, I would go and I would And you'd spoken. represent. Yeah, yeah you'd be, be like, Join the student theater, guys. Yeah, it's great. Exactly right. I I absolutely love it um, so much. Like, I, yeah, for me, my university experience, my O week club to join was the snow sports team. Right. I stumbled upon, and it was it's hilarious. In Australia, our orientation week is in like yeah March February kind of time, height of summer. It is boiling hot. Yes, really hot. Arguably the hottest time of the year. Basically, end of it February, is. early March. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculously hot. So when I saw someone dressed in full snow gear strapped into a <laughs> snowboard. Promoting the snow sports team, I was like, you guys are where I should be. I need to hang out with you. Yeah. It's been really beautiful. And honestly, like I was working in my office on campus during O Week. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go down to campus to check it all out. They went all out this year. There was free food. Like, oh. by free food, I mean, like, full, like, meals for free. Just ice cream. There was pancakes. Oh. There was, like, these really nice skewers and lamb kebabs. There was these corn fritters that were really lovely. They actually had a Ferris wheel on campus on wow. one of the days. And dodgem cars. I shit you know, it was like incredible. a full fairground. It was incredible. That's amazing. That, that I'm so glad to know that O-Weeks continue to be like that. Yeah. Or I was starting to get back to it. I mean, speaking of free food, I remember one of my O weeks there was someone with the largest walk I've ever seen in my entire life like literally like 30 centimeters is at the base of it and yep. the top of it is like a meter yes, wide yes exactly right making fried rice uh, and that was free yeah. I vividly remember having that fried rice it was delicious yeah that's that's really really cool to know that like we're starting to get back to normality we may never get back to exactly how it used to be but it, the fact that it's getting close that's yeah. that's that's really lovely but it made hear. me feel like it was my university again the yeah. one that I attended and like I can see the, the the faces on the students, they're excited to be there. Yeah. It means so much more than being like, I'm gonna go to my orientation class on Zoom. Yeah. It's so much it's it's so much it's better. It's all the same, yeah. And I ju- yeah, I I just think my planes walk is to university into O Week, but in general, it's about how far we've come as and specifically mm. Victoria, I think. Yeah. Shout out to the Victorians for the past couple of years. We've been through it rough. Yeah. We've put in the hard work, but now we have our city back and our life back. It's it's awesome. Yeah. I'm loving it. It really is. All right. That's just about all we have for you here. So we'll yeah. catch you next week for more Get Commanded fun. See you later, Commander players. Bye.